Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning I want to begin um, the last message of 2017 by, by asking a simple question. The simple question is this. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? And uh, that's a, a simple question, but unfortunately I think it's a question that doesn't often get asked aloud in the church. And I don't know exactly why, but I, I think some people are uh, a bit shy, a bit apprehensive about asking a question like that because they assume that everybody else knows the answer and it must be obvious, right? You know, I was that kid in class. I didn't want to put up my hand and ask the stupid question, so I just kept my mouth shut and I didn't learn much. Um, let me say that I think that that is not a stupid question. That's that's an important question. It's a fundamental question. It's a foundational question. And it's a question that we should be asking often. What is a Christian? I think it's a question that we shouldn't only be asking, but it's a question that we should know how to answer. We should know how to answer it confidently and clearly from the Bible. We should be able to explain to anyone what is a Christian. We should be able to answer that question clearly and confidently from the Bible. After all, if we don't know what we're aiming at, we're going to miss the target, aren't we? Now, I don't know, you might be a, you know, a, a rather firm unbeliever here this morning, and let me suggest that I think even you should know the answer to this because you should you should probably know what it is you're rejecting. Oftentimes when I hear unbelieving people talk about what they think Christianity is or what a Christian is, it's obvious they've missed the mark. They don't they haven't hit the target. They don't really know what the Bible says. And so before we look at uh the biblical answer, a biblical answer from Galatians 2:20, uh, to that question, what is a Christian? Before we do that, I want to just throw out there for you a couple of a couple of answers that I think are totally inadequate. So, for example, some people think that a Christian is is someone that um, believes in God, or somebody might think that a Christian is is someone who uh, who believes that the Bible is true. Or someone that goes to church, maybe every Sunday. Someone who follows the example of Jesus or believes in Jesus' teaching. Or someone who has been baptized. Maybe, maybe you think that someone is a Christian if they've had a born-again experience. Or they've prayed the sinner's prayer or they're living a good life, or they've been raised as a Christian in a Christian family. 
Now, all of those things are good. All of those things are good, but none of them, not one of them, determines what it means to be a Christian. In fact, all of those things could be true of you, and you might not be a Christian. There are many people in many churches that think they're Christians because of some or maybe all of of these things. So we return to the question, what is a Christian? And as I thought about that question, as I thought about us asking and answering that question, the, the final message of 2017, there are so many texts that we could look at. There are many places in the New Testament that we could go to answer that question, but this one stood out to me. It's, it's got to be one of my favorite verses. If you've been a Christian very long, I bet you I could go up and look in your Bible, and this text is underlined or highlighted, or there's a note beside it, or stars, or maybe a little heart, or I don't know what you do, how you mark up your Bible. But mine is, not a heart, but it's, it's, it's highlighted, it's underlined. This is one of my favorite. It's one of the first verses in the Bible that I actually committed to memory after I became a Christian. Galatians 2.20. The Apostle Paul here in this verse is giving us a very clear and a very compelling answer to the question, what is a Christian? Now that's not why he's writing it, but we can deduce that from the verse. Here's what he writes. He says... I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Even though Paul's language here is is very personal, it's, it's very specific and very personal about him. What he is saying here is true. It is true of every Christian. What he is saying here is true without exception for every Christian. So we can learn from this passage, we can learn from this verse what it means to be a Christian. Now, if I were tweeting an answer to this question, um, I might, you know, from from Galatians 2.20, I might say that a Christian is someone whose whole identity has been redefined by Jesus Christ, especially by Christ's death and resurrection. So what I want to do this morning with you is take this verse apart a bit and look at it in order to see, in order to answer this question, to see that a Christian is somebody, a Christian is a person whose whole identity has been redefined by Jesus Christ, especially Christ's death and resurrection. That's what I think we can see here in this verse. So let's break it down a bit. Paul begins with this incredible statement. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And then he adds, it is no longer I who live. 
Now, obviously, uh, verse 20 has a context around it. We can't take it out and just sort of put it there all by itself. It's part of a larger argument that Paul is making through the book of Galatians. And by the way, we're going to preach through the book of Galatians uh, starting next fall. So uh, stay tuned for that. This is an amazing book. But, But in the middle of this context, this argument that Paul is making, he is saying that believers are accepted by God Believers are accepted by God. They're declared righteous by God. They're accepted by God. The technical term here that Paul uses is justified. They're justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by doing the works of the Mosaic law. That's the basic theme of the book of Galatians, that we are accepted by God that God says that we are righteous in his sight and accepted, the technical term is justified, we are justified before God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from doing any works of the law. That is the point of this book, and that is the point of this portion of the book. That's the main emphasis here. So if you look at Galatians 2.16... Paul makes this point specifically. He says, we know that a person is not justified, accepted by God, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then later on, in verse 19, he writes this, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now, before Paul the Apostle was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul the Pharisee. And Saul the Pharisee, Saul the Pharisee hoped, he put his hope in, his righteousness before God, his acceptance with God, his salvation, he put his hope in obeying or observing the Mosaic Law. Through strict observance of the Mosaic Law, He thought God would receive him. God would save him. God would declare him righteous. And then he met Jesus Christ. He met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and everything changed. Through faith in Christ, Saul came to see, Saul came to realize that the law was forever destroyed and put aside as a way of getting right with God. He realized he could never earn God's favor. In fact, Paul saw that keeping the law was never actually supposed to make us right before God. It never could make us right before God. The law, here's the thing, the law only condemns us. It only shows us how we fall short of God's righteous standard. Only Jesus Christ can save us. And that's what Paul learned on the road to Damascus. See, through his crucifixion, Jesus Christ bore our curse. He bore the curse and the punishment of the law for us in our place. 
He was condemned for us. He paid the penalty that we owe. That he was a substitute for us. And this is what Paul came to see. And as a result, his life was completely redefined. His life was not defined by the law anymore and trying to keep it in order to please God. His life was now completely redefined by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Only Jesus Christ would make him acceptable to God. And so, as a result, Paul here in Galatians 2.20, he pens his own obituary. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He pens his own obituary joyfully and boldly. Saul the Pharisee is dead. He's gone. He's buried. The Saul that used to look for and live for and hope in the law, he's gone. Now he is only looking to and hoping in and living for Jesus Christ. And Paul's point here is that this does not only apply to him. This is not him just giving his personal testimony about what he believes. But this applies to all believers everywhere throughout all time. All Christians must be able to echo what Paul is saying here. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Listen to the language that Paul uses, for example, in Romans 6. Paul's writing the church in Rome. In Romans 6, he talks about their baptism. He says, do you not know that all of us, all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, our baptism, a Christian's baptism, is a sign of their new identity. When you're baptized, you're saying, Jesus Christ is completely redefining who I am. Baptism is a public declaration that you have been crucified with Christ. Your old life is gone. Your new life has come. That's why in Romans 6, 6, Paul says, our old self was crucified with him. See, the, the crucifixion of Jesus is much more than just a historical event. It happened in history 2,000 years ago or a little less It was an event that took place just outside the wall of Jerusalem. But it's so much more than that. Because it's an event that we as believers, that Christians participate in. It's an event for us. It's an event that defines us. See, once we have been united with Jesus Christ through faith, we're united with him in his death, in his crucifixion. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the old is gone, the new has come. So let me ask you this, how do we get from Paul and that stuff I've been saying about 
his relation to the law. How do I get from there, first century Jewish religious context, to 21st century, you know, sort of Western secular context? How do we make that, that leap? What does what Paul is saying here, what does it mean for us? How have we died to the law? How have we been crucified with Christ? Well, let me put it this way. I don't think many of us in our culture are trying to make ourselves acceptable to God by keeping the Mosaic law. That's probably not a huge problem for a lot of people in our culture. You know, they wake up in the morning and they've got the list of 613 laws there. There's 613 in the Torah. And they, you know, they're just fastidiously checking it off and keeping the, oh, you know. I don't think I've, I've really met too many people that approach their acceptance with God that way. So does that mean this isn't a problem for us? No, it's still a problem for us. Let me put it this way. I think that we are all striving to prove ourselves. We are all people who are striving to prove ourselves in some way or another. In a religious context like Paul's, people strive to prove themselves, to justify themselves before God, to make themselves acceptable to God. That's a religious context. But in our context, in our secular context, People try to prove themselves, maybe to themselves. People try to make themselves acceptable to their own standard. Or maybe they try to prove themselves to others. Some people live for the approval of their parents, or their peers, or their kids or their spouse, or their boss, or their lover, or the crowd in general. See, we're all striving in some way to prove ourselves, to be good enough. Let me ask you this question. Whose approval are you living for? Or maybe another way of asking it is, whose approval can you not afford to lose? If you lost their approval, it would be devastating for you. In our culture, we're trying to establish a sense, all of us are doing this, and in this way, we're very much like Paul. In our culture, we're we're trying to establish our own sense of worth, our own sense of value and significance and importance. Or as Paul would have said, we're trying to justify ourselves. We want to feel like we are successful. We want to feel like we have made it, or at least we are on the road to making it. And that's pretty much true of all of us. The problem, however, is that it's not enough. It doesn't work. It's a dead end. The problem is when we get on that road, when we try to establish and maintain our own sense of significance through what we do or who we know or where we've been, our education level, our income, 
our job status, how creative we are, whatever it is, if we try to establish and maintain our own sense of significance, we're going to sooner or later discover it's a fruitless and it's a frustrating venture. I think the writer to Ecclesiastes would say, it's vanity of vanities and it's striving after the wind. Years ago, I read an interview uh, with Madonna, of all people, in Vanity Fair magazine. And here's what she said. She said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody in capitals, capital S, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. It's very honest, very candid. I think what she's saying here maps on to many of our lives. See, there's this struggle, there's this striving. Just like the Apostle Paul. We want to be, we want to make it, we want to be accepted, we want to be righteous, we want to be justified. And then Jesus comes along. Then we meet Jesus. See, Jesus is the end of all of that frustration. Jesus is the end of all of that fruitless struggle to try to make a name for ourselves, to try to be worthy enough, good enough, capable enough, skilled enough to try to be somebody like Madonna was trying to be. See, all of us are trying to be somebody we're finally happy with, aren't we? Somebody we're finally content to be. And that'll never happen unless you find your peace in Jesus Christ. Mark 8.35, Jesus says, Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So let me ask you this morning as we close up 2017, Have you been crucified with Christ? Do you know, do you know that you died with Him when He died? It's no longer you who live. The old you is gone. There's a new you. We'll look at that in a second. But do you know yourself? Is this your hope this morning that you have been crucified with Christ? You don't have to prove anything to God. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You're complete in Him. Let's move on. The next thing Paul says 
He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, the good news is that after his crucifixion and his burial, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is reigning at the right hand of God. This is the good news of Easter Sunday. The incarnation of Christmas is in the rearview mirror now. As Christians, we look, we set our sights on Easter. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, to be a Christian is to be dead to an old life in Adam, in sin, trying to earn your way with God, and to be to be have entered into a new life with Christ. A new life where Christ is at the very heart and core and center of who you are and what you're all about. Is that true of you? Is Christ at the center of your life? Does he define you? Has he redefined you? That's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, it's no longer my life that I am trying to live. He says, the only life that I have to live is the life that God puts in me through Jesus Christ by His Spirit. That's the only life I have to live. That's the only life I want to live. That's the only life that's worthy of being called life. See, Paul, this is important. Paul hasn't lost his identity. He's found it. Sin misshapens us. It warps us. It corrupts us. Under the influence of sin and the crushing weight of the law to try and prove ourselves to God or to others, we are not our best self. We're misshapen. We're crushed. We're warped. We're distorted. In Christ, we become our true selves. Paul hasn't lost his identity. He has a new identity in Christ. He is more fully himself than he's ever been. To be a Christian is to be fully human. Paul's alive to God. That's what it means to be a human being. To be alive to God, the God who made us in his image and for his glory. That's only done through Christ. See, our modern world, our modern world is absolutely obsessed with the self, isn't it? We've got self-esteem. We've got self-help. We've got self-fulfillment. We've got self-realization. We've got self-improvement. We've got self-expression. And it's all self-indulgent. And I'm sure I've missed two or three there. And here's what I... It seems to me as though this self thing has been around long enough. Aren't we beginning to figure it out that it's, it's kind of not working? You know, we've been peddling this... <clears throat> I won't say it. We've been peddling this message for decades now. And pay attention, it's not working! It's not working. It's getting worse. When we focus on the self, I think we just end up being exhausted, don't we? 
Aren't you exhausted when you focus endlessly on yourself? You're certainly boring. You are. Let me tell you this. Some, somebody might need to hear this. When you get with other people and you talk only about yourself, you're boring and nobody likes to be with you. Sorry. Just pop somebody's balloon. No, but it's true, isn't it? This is exhausting. And here's what happens. And I've seen this many times. A focus on the self leads to this strange creature where we are, we are massively egotistical and deeply despairing. The same person, sometimes within minutes or hours, we can go from being massively egotistical to, to deeply despairing of everything. And it's because of this relentless, myopic, endless focus on ourselves. And Paul comes along, Jesus comes along and says, you're dead to all of that. You want life? Find life with the risen Lord. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Phil Riken, theologian Phil Riken, says, we will never find our true selves until we find ourselves in Christ. Paul's language here, have you noticed how personal it is? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ is, or Paul is embedded into this, this story. And that's because the Christian life Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is deeply personal. You can't have a relationship with, with Jesus at a safe distance in sort of some detached way, the, may, the way you might, you know, uh, study a subject at university, you know, with sort of this objective, sort of neutral, safe distance. That's not the way we know Jesus. We can't be sort of casual and indifferent and detached toward the Lord of glory. He's got to get in us. Christ, listen to what he says, Christ lives in me. Does Christ live in you? That's the testimony of every Christian. You're not a Christian unless you can say that Christ lives in you. Sixteenth-century reformer John Calvin writes, We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from him. All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. See, being a Christian is not about studying your Bible. It's not about showing up every Sunday at church. It's not about being a good person. It's about Christ in you. It's about Christ dwelling in us. Henry Skugel, a famous 18th century pastor, described the Christian life as the life of God in the soul of man. Anything less is not, is not to be truly Christian. Here's the way Jesus Christ described it. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, 
He says, abide in me and I in you. That's what Paul is saying, Christ in me. He says, Jesus is saying, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, apart from the the, the abiding Christ, the, the person of Christ abiding in us by his spirit, we can do nothing. So the question is, is Christ in you? Is his character transforming your character? Are Christ's desires getting a hold of your desires and remaking them and transforming them and awakening them? Is there... That's that's what it comes down to. Well, let me move on. Finally, Paul concludes by saying, and the life that I now live in the flesh, he means his physical body, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So often faith is misunderstood. Faith is not a vague feeling or sort of a a warm attitude to some idea about God. That's not faith. Faith is not some sentimental hope that somehow everything is going to work out in the end. Sentimental faith, sentimental views of God, sentimental feelings of God will get you nowhere. They're not They're not biblical, they're not real, they're deceptive. See, faith is an ongoing, everyday, believing dependence upon Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. I live my life, the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's saying, I every day have an ongoing, believing dependence upon the Son of God. Does that define you? Is your daily dependence upon Him something that you're aware of and growing in and exercising? Because that that needs to define who we are and how we live and where we're going and, and how we approach absolutely everything. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6 says. See, faith lays hold of Jesus Christ crucified and risen faith reaches out to him and brings him close brings him near brings him into our present situations no matter how good or bad they are faith lays a hold of him and says I need you here with me now help me be present with me lead me guide me give me wisdom Help me to know how to speak and when to speak and what to say and when to keep my mouth shut. I love what he says here. The Son of God who loved me. 
faith says, not that Jesus Christ died for humanity in general in some way. Faith says that Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ loves me. That's how close it is. Faith brings Jesus into your life so close and so personal. You're saying, you are for me. You love me. You gave up your life for me. You are redefining me. You are transforming me. I'm in you and you're in me. We're together in this. That's what faith says. You know, I do a fair bit of of marriage counseling and I sit down with couples who are having difficulties in marriage and I usually, it begins with, well, kind of bring me up to speed. What's going on? Let's hear the story. And, and that's usually an interesting experience. Um, and, you know, there's usually a whole kind of narrative is laid out there and anywhere from sort of 20 minutes to several hours, there'll be this, this narrative about what's going on. And what it, this is a, a 100%. There's batting a 1,000 here. Where there is trouble in a marriage, Jesus is absent. The, the whole story, the whole narrative, all the, the catalog of disappointments and frustrations and fights and animosities, all of it lacks Jesus. There's no faith that brings him into the picture. And that's the problem. Nobody has a perfect marriage. If you think you do, come and talk to me later. Um, nobody has a perfect marriage. The difference between a flourishing marriage and a barren, difficult, failing marriage is the presence or the absence of Jesus Christ. That's it. Get a hold of Him. Bring Him into your life. Live your whole life, every moment and every day of your life, by faith in the Son of God. Bring Him into your situations in your marriage. Bring him into your difficulties at work. Bring him in in your studies. Bring him in to your finances. Bring him into your time management. Bring him into your friendships. Bring him into your hopes and your dreams and your ambitions and your pain and your suffering and your disappointments and your opportunities. That's what Paul's talking about here. And that's the posture of a Christian. I think sometimes we just abstract this whole thing, this whole, this whole faith thing and theology thing and Jesus thing and Bible thing. We, we put it out there in some abstract way that is, is floating out there. It might, be, it might as well be Pluto, you know, which they just de-planted it. I'm just very offended by this. But, you know, it's just so far away. We can't see it. We can't lay a hold of it. It's not making any difference. You know, the Mar- Martin Luther, the famous 16th century uh, reformer, said... People are dying because they don't know how to use their pronouns. Use your pronouns. He died for me. I've been crucified with him. He loves me. Bring him up close and personal every day, all the time. How can we look? How can we look? at the crucified Son of God and dare to doubt His love for us. With the way that some of us moan and groan and complain about everything that's going on, 
you'd think that you'd think that Jesus doesn't love you. I think we have to repent, don't you? I think we have to turn away from acting as if any of us have a hard time. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, loves you so much from eternity, right now and forevermore. He loves you so much, He gave Himself up to die on a cross. He he gave Himself up to be crucified for you. How will that transform the way we look at everything? My goal in 2018 is to make that more of a reality every day and every moment in every situation. We have got nothing to complain about. Christians should only be thankful people all the time because this is the anchor of our soul that will hold fast in any and every storm. I promise. Amen. Father, would you give us grace? We need your grace to live into this life, this Christian life. I pray that he would redefine us from top to bottom, through and through, that he would live in us, that his character and his desires would transform our character and our desires. And that we who have been raised up with Christ would seek the things that are above where he is seated at your right hand. And we'd be satisfied. We'd be, we'd experience the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory because he is ours and we are his. And his love toward us cannot be doubted. Help us go into the new year aware of these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.